Do you like to uh, trade things? When uh, I was a kid, we used to trade baseball cards and football cards, and we'd get together many times on my neighbor's front porch, and we would try and put together a trade uh, to get what we wanted. And uh, I remember I always kind of went with my heart, and so I always traded for Pittsburgh Pirates and Pittsburgh Steelers, yeah, just hands down. And I'm, I remember this very clearly. One time uh, I uh, traded with my neighbor, Steve, and I gave him six Lou Brocks for one Roberto Clemente. <laughs> I thought it was a good trade. So, yeah, but Lou Brock's a great ball player. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. But um, there's something about human beings that makes us want to trade things. True? I mean, we trade land, we we trade cars, we trade clothes, stock, jewelry. We like to trade things. And the fact is, some trades are, are good, and some trades are not so good. Normally, when we trade for something, we ask ourselves, is this a good trade or not? We want to trade up, true? I think all of us can look back and see times when we made bad trades. I know I can. You know, maybe if you look back in your life, you uh, traded your family for work, and some of you are still kind of reaping the consequences of that kind of a trade. You know, maybe you traded uh, sex for self-esteem or money for security. Maybe you traded in your values for advancement. Sometimes when you make a bad trade, you know it immediately. And sometimes it's kind of a delayed reality. You didn't realize the cost that was involved. Sometimes trades are good. I traded the single life and all the freedom that came with that for love and marriage and kids. And I will tell you it was a good trade. I'm still reaping the benefits of that deal. Sometimes trades are good, and sometimes they're not good. You know, we've been in this uh, series, we're finishing up today, Game of Thrones, and we've been asking the question, who's on the throne in your life? You know, today we, we celebrate Easter, we celebrate the empty tomb, we celebrate Jesus' victory over, over sin and, and death. And millions of people around the world are celebrating today in cathedrals and sanctuaries and auditoriums and arenas to celebrate that victory. In fact, even people that aren't sure that the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually occurred are here today. They're they're celebrating because it is not hard to figure out if Jesus really traded in sin and death for forgiveness and eternal life, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened, it changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. I was thinking about Easter, and Easter is really about trading. Jesus traded his throne in heaven, and he came down to this earth. He took his place in a manger. We talked about that back at Christmas. You know, Jesus, the the king of kings, traded everything. He gave it all up to make a relationship with God possible in our lives. 
You know, when Jesus died on the cross for, for your sins and mine, he took our place. See, it was a trade. And when he walked out of that grave, it was a victory, and I believe it was the ultimate trade of all time. He, he traded his throne in heaven, he traded his life for our salvation, and that's amazing grace, and that's what we celebrate today. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to talk about Jesus trading in his throne in heaven, come to this world. And he wants to trade you for the throne in your, in your heart, in my heart. Who sits on the throne in your life? Who sits on the throne? I mean, it's a, it's a question worth asking, and it is a throne issue that we all face. You know, the creator of this universe, the, the same God that created you and me, that, that God is the master designer. He has a plan, and Jesus Christ was part of that plan. You know, Jeremiah says this. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Every time you make a plan, you got to have a purpose, right? There's a purpose behind the plan. What's the motivation behind God's plan? Well, why did God make us? You know, some people say, well, well it was, uh, God was lonely. Eh. Wrong. God's never lonely. God has fellowship, eternal fellowship, perfect fellowship with Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit. He didn't make us because he was lonely. In fact, Scripture will clarify that God made us because of this irrational, unfathomable kind of love. And love has to have an object, and the Bible says we are the object of God's love. That's why he designed us. That's why he made us. We are God's MVPs, so to speak, most valuable possession. And that's you and me. We matter to God. If you don't get anything else this morning, get this. We matter to God. We are of such importance to God, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves us that much. How many of you have ever uh, driven around, just looked at houses? Let me, let me see hands. All right. Young people are going, whoo boy, that sounds like fun. <laughs> you you will do it someday. <laughs> I always wonder what people are saying when they drive by my house. Yeah, you know, you can always tell them because they're moving at kind of a uh, uh, parade pace, you know, and uh, they're checking houses out, and you know, it's like, are they going? Wow, I like that house. That must be nice, you know. Or they're in someone's neighborhood and they're like, look at the size of that house. I wonder what they do for a living. You know, what were they smoking when they picked out those colors, you know? (laughs) Bet the pastor lives there. (laughs) Every once in a while, I'll uh, be driving and I'll see a house. And you see one of those houses that they used to be a thing of beauty, but now it's dilapidated, it's trashed. And sometimes when you drive by a house like that, you think, now there's a fixer-upper. That, that's a handyman special. Or when it's really bad, you'll look at it and go, there's a money pit. 
It's a nightmare waiting to happen. That house used to be a thing of beauty. But because it hasn't been cared for, because it hasn't been kept up, it's slowly deteriorated. And I'll be honest, when I see a house like that, I, I just think it's sad. It's just sad. But here's what I believe. If we could drive around and look at the houses that are called our lives, the way we would look at those houses, if we saw our dwelling place, our life, I think we'd drive by and go, wow, what a mess. There's one that needs some major repair. Why? What happened? Well, it's a result of sin. Sin deteriorates. Sin will demolish. Sin will devastate. It will destroy God's ultimate design. It's the nature of sin to destroy and to mess things up. You know, the Proverbs writes, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. We think we know best. We choose to sit on the throne. A throne which we were not designed to sit on, by the way. But because we sit on the throne, we decide we can do our own thing. And we've made a mess of things many times. We were created by God. We were designed by God. We were created to be a beautiful dwelling place. But along the way, we trash it. All of us do. I mean, so, so what do you do? What do you do? We have a problem. Our lives get in shambles. And I want to suggest it's a throne issue. And many times we think, oh, I can fix this. Because we want to do things our way. We want to, we want to rule We want what we want in life. And what happens is things get messier and messier. Have you noticed that in life? You missed the mark. We sin. We want the throne. Why? Because we want to be in control. I like control, don't you? But the Bible says that thing called sin, it separates us, puts distance between us and God. And when we choose to sit on the throne we do what seems right in our eyes. And I want to suggest we live in denial at that point. I don't know about you, but when I watch the news, when I look at our country, when I look at this world, there is a lot of denial going on. We have a lot of deterioration a lot of devastation. And I think the creator of this universe must look down and think, what a mess. I mean, our designer, we're living in this rubble sometimes. Things are are, uh, a shambles. And and it's interesting to me because I've done it many times in my own life. Things are a mess. And then I'm like, hey, hey, God, things are cool, you know. My structure's looking good. Everything's handy and dandy. It's good. And we're in denial. And denial breeds a thing called deception. 
we deceive ourselves. I mean, we sit on the throne, all right? It's my life. I'll do what I want to do. But we're in denial, and what ends up happening is we avoid things. We avoid thinking about things. We avoid addressing things in our life. We avoid doing things that we need to do. You know, how many of you have Vin Diesel fans? Any Vin? No? No? A few? All right, all right. I don't get it, but uh, anyway. (laughs) I, I don't get the Fast and Furious franchise. I really don't. I mean, what, has there been like 16 of those now? Something like that? They're releasing number eight in a couple weeks. And they've already got nine and ten. They're in the process. So it's been a big franchise. Must be doing well. But in an interview, uh, Detail Magazine, uh, architectural piece, they asked Vin, they said, why in the world would you drive yourself so hard? You know, why in the world would you live life at this breakneck type speed and pace? And this is what Vin said, and it's very interesting. He said, maybe it's because if I slow down, I'll be forced to take stock of where I am in the world. And that would be a little Halloween. A little Halloween. I think a lot of people could identify with that. I mean, maybe we're afraid to take a little stock in life. You know, where is God in my life? Who sits on the throne in my life? Are you living in denial? I mean, Vin Diesel's in denial. He knows it. I mean, down deep, I think he knows he has an appointment that he cannot put off, that he's going to die someday. And that, I believe, would be a little more than Halloween. I have been in ministry 30-plus years now, and I have watched people die in a state of denial. We have an appointment that we cannot avoid. The fact is death is inevitable in life. And what we do this side of the grave, the Bible says, determines our eternity. I mean, are you afraid to take stock in your life? Are you unsure? about the realities of heaven and hell? Or is it just easier just not to think about that stuff? See, denial, it breeds a thing called deception. And I just want to say, be careful. Be very, very careful. Choose wisely. We, we have this tendency, all of us, me included, as human beings, we want to sit on the throne. And because we sit on the throne, we look to ourselves for answers. You know, the the whole self-esteem movement that's popular, there's, there's some good things, but most of it is based on a thing called denial and deception. How many of you remember Saturday Night Live, uh, Stuart Smalley? Remember that? All right, we're dating ourselves. He was kind of a, a mock self-help guru. It would start out, and you can help me with this if you want. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. (laughs) Just because we say it does not make it so. Just because we think it does not make it so. 
Just because we all get a trophy does not make it true. The Bible says the way to have healthy self-esteem is to see ourselves as God sees us. Nothing more, nothing less. Culture says, believe what you want. Do what you want. It's okay. You're okay. I'm okay. Everything's okay. And God says, no, that's wrong. In fact, God's word says, I'm not okay. And you're not okay. The fact is, we're all in trouble. We can't sit on the throne. We can't call all the shots. We can't look to ourselves and find meaning and purpose, and we can't fix everything. And it is amazing to me, but that is exactly what we do. We, we can't do it, but we try to do it. What if today, what if I was to hand you keys to a brand new home today, a smart home, high-tech home? You know, it's got all, all, the, all the goodies in it. You'd probably take the keys and go, thank you very much. And then you'd move in to your new smart home with smart plugs and smart lights and smart light bulbs and personal climate control and smart appliances that do all the ordering and stuff for you and irrigation and solar management, you know, alarm system, all this smart stuff. Can you imagine? All smart. And some of you would kick back in your lazy boy chair in a heart, a very hot, dark, dark room. You know why? You know why it's hot? You know why it's dark? Because you have no clue how to t- use the stuff in the house. Now, now, all the guys right now, they're going, well, I'm not going to admit that I wouldn't know how to use that stuff. You know. But the fact is, we, we would all, we would all be a little bit confused. Why? Because it's all new, and it's a lot of new technology. So you got all these smart gadgets, these online links, these consoles, and these remotes to operate the entire house. What do you do? Well, you just jump in and start pushing buttons, right? And, and I'll, I'll be honest, you could start pushing buttons, and you would figure a few things out, probably. But I guarantee you, you would mess up a lot of other stuff. So that's probably not the best approach. You could sit there in the dark in this house and go, house, what should I do? How does this stuff work? But that wouldn't work either, would it? You look to the designer of the home. You look to the manuals that the architect gave you when you bought the home or got the home given to you. God designed this world, and he designed you and me, and he created us with these unique gifts and talents, and he gave us the Bible, and it's a manual for living. So why do we deceive ourselves? I mean, why are we in denial in our lives? We want to sit on the throne, that's why. We, and when we sit on that throne, our tendency is to look to ourselves for the answers. Now, I know, as I say that, some of you are going, well, I'm not in denial. I know things are messed up. Well, some do not live in la-la land. What we live in is kind of Home Depot land, right? We are the quintessential do-it-yourselfers in life. 
You know, God, I'm not in denial. I know things are a mess. I mean, just look at my life. But, God, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do this, and 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 then I'm going to construct this really good life, and you're going to look down, and God, I know you're going to be pleased with it. And that is an option in life. But I will tell you, that's not a good option. It's a good option if you can live a perfect life, if you never sin, if you never make a mistake, if you're 100% righteous, if you could do that, you'll get to heaven. But just a newsflash, you can't do that because we all mess up. Paul says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. God's standard, perfection. You know, you study the major religions of the world, and there is a basic uh, belief with most of them that you can work your way to heaven. You can build a life, and if you do enough things, that God will look and go, oh, I'm pleased with that. And it's a system based on works. If you work really hard, if you are good enough, you go to heaven. Friends, at the core of that is a throne issue. The good enough plan is very appealing. You get to maintain the throne in your life. You get to be the king in your life or the queen in your life. But the reality is you will never be good enough. You never will. Why? Because you're never going to be perfect. It doesn't work. And I know anytime I have a conversation on this front, there's always pushback. People go, but Damon, I'm I'm Catholic, and if I do this, this, and this, and this, then, then I can get to God. Or I'm Baptist or Methodist or whatever. Pick your poison here. If I do all these things, these things here, if I work really, really hard, and I'm gonna work hard, I can make it. Friends, no, you can't. You can't run hard enough. You can't be good enough. You can't help enough people. You can't serve in enough ministries. You can't go to enough Bible studies. You can't go on enough mission trips. You just can't do it no matter what you do. It's not going to be enough. You may think, oh, I'll get out the hammer and the nails and I'm going to rebuild my life and I'm going to make things acceptable so that God will look and go, oh, you're good. You can't. You know why? Because you're a sinner. I'm a sinner, we've messed up, and God says, you know what, I I designed this plan. I mean, he could have left us hanging and said, look, I designed the perfect plan. You blew it, you messed up, you you rebelled against me, you've sinned. Good luck with things, but you lose. God could have left us there, but God did not do that. The fact is, God says, you know what? Put the hammer and nails down. Quit running. Quit trying so hard. I've got another plan for you. And God constructed this ingenious plan, a way for us to get to him. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, with that plan. And Jesus came to this earth, and he took our place on the cross. It was a trade, Jesus died for us. He died for our sins. 
we did not get what we deserve. The fact is, we deserve to be nailed to the cross. We deserve to die for our sins. We deserve condemnation. We deserve eternal separation from God. But Jesus makes this exchange. It's a trade. And he said, I'm dying for their sins. And it was the ultimate trade, the trade of all times. And when Jesus walked out of the grave, this is why we celebrate, he declared victory. Victory over sin and victory over the power of sin and victory over death and the grave and hell. And God commissioned Jesus, the great carpenter. I think it's interesting. He grew up in a carpenter's home. And then he would build the bridge to God. A bridge that we can't build. But God built the bridge through Jesus Christ and it's done. It's done. It was done for you. It was done for me. Paul says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came just the right time and died for us sinners. Jesus left his throne and he came to this earth and he died and it was a trade. It was a trade. It cost God's son his life It cost his blood, and he paid the price for your sins and mine. It was a costly trade. It was an amazing trade, one that changed my life. And friends, that's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves you. A couple years ago, uh, I gave my uh, grandkids some older Uh, football cards. They were from like the 1990s. And so I gave them to them and I was telling them that I had collected when I, when I was a kid. And so they're asking me about the cards and they're they're like, uh, are they like Pokemon cards, grandpa? Uh, Like, do, do we play a game with these? And I go, no guys, you don't play a game with these. You, you collect them. Oh, there were some. Yes, some are. Well, what are mine worth, Grandpa? Grandpa, look at my card. Who, who is this, Grandpa? You know, what is this card worth? And they, they really weren't getting it. So we went to the computer, and I started looking up some cards, cards I didn't have, but I wanted them to understand what, what's involved. And so I showed them like a rookie uh, Jerome Bettis card. And I said, this card is now worth about $350. Ooh. I said, and here's a Heinz Ward. See, I'm going with my heart, and I'm going to teach him well. And I said, the Heinz Ward, it's worth $250. I go, Grandpa, we're never going to have to work again. <laughs> you know, I, I'd given him like 15 or 20 cards, you know. And uh, so I explained to him they were going to have to work. They were very disappointed. But um, <laughs> then we took some of the cards they had and we were looking them up on the internet and some of them had a 50 cent value and a dollar. And so they're like, well, grandpa, what are they going to be worth next year? I said, guys, I, I don't know what they'll be worth. They, you know, sometimes the value goes up, sometimes it goes down. Well, why grandpa? Why do, why does that happen? And I'm like, well, a lot of variations, you know, how long are their careers or do they get into the hall of fame, the condition of the card, how rare it is. And, I can see they're kind of glassing over at that point. But uh, finally they go, Grandpa, what will this be worth when I get out of school? And I go, I don't know. I don't know. 
I said, whatever someone's willing to pay for it. Friends, that's something you need to learn in life. Something is only worth what someone is willing to pay. Beckett's, it's the gold standard for ball cards, tells you what they're worth. The Bible is God's gold standard for our worth. How much are you worth? How much am I worth? Whatever someone's willing to pay, you're worth the blood of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, he sent his son to die for your sins and mine so that we could have a relationship. That's your worth. The God of this creation looked down and said, I'm willing to give it all. It says, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did through the... He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalties for our sins. He declared us not guilty, took away our sins. It was a trade. And friends, it's the only way. Jesus gave up his throne, gave it up to save us. It was a trade. But you have to accept it. You have to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Who's on the throne in your life? Some of you need to make that trade. You know, just all you have to do is simply say, I'm in trouble, God. Jesus, I believe that you came to this world and I want you to come into my life. I want you as my Savior and I want you as my Lord And God, I'm going to get off the throne and you can have the throne in my life. Friends, you're trading. Trading failures for forgiveness. Trading guilt for grace. We do not deserve what God gives us, but God gives it to us anyway. That's why it's grace, amazing grace. You are trading your sins for a savior, and I can't think of a better trade in the world. Paul writes, it says, Christ had no sin, but God made him become sin so that in Christ we could be right with God. What plan are you on in your life? Are you on the construction plan? You're going to fix your life? You're going to build and do what you want to do? Or are you going to build the way God says? Are you going to work really, 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 really hard and come up short? Or are you going to give it all and say, you know what, Lord, I can't, but you can? It's a throne issue. And it has all kinds of consequences in it. Who's on the throne? If it is not Jesus Christ, you're not okay. In fact, you're in trouble. And it is a mess that you cannot fix on your own as much as you want to. And I just challenge you today, step down from the throne and just bow before the throne of Jesus Christ. Say, I'm yours. You know, Jesus said in the book of Revelation, John writes this, he says, here I am, 
I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and what? Opens the door. I'll come in. Jesus is knocking at the door. And all you got to do is open it. Invite him in. And just say, Savior, Lord. You're my Savior and Lord. Only way is the best decision I ever made in my life. Best trade. There ain't anything that comes close. But Jesus is the only way. And it is a throne issue. And it's an issue we all face. So I'll ask one more time. Who's on the throne? The answer to that? That is the most important answer you will ever give. And I challenge you with that. If you haven't taken that step, I encourage you after the service, there'll be teams down here that will pray with you. It's easy. God, I I believe that, and that's, that's the step. I believe you came to this world to die for me, and I want you as Savior, and I want you as Lord. And then give him the throne. And then you figure it out as you go. I'm still figuring it out. And I've been doing this a long time, following God a long time. But I guarantee it'll be the best trade you ever make. You ever make. Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God. God, we praise you today. And we celebrate that you walked out of that tomb. God, there are many here today that you have changed our hearts. And that's why we sing, that's why we celebrate, that's why we remember. God, we thank you for that amazing love, that amazing grace. God, I also know there are some here that have not taken that step. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would just stir in them. They've been trying to fix it on their own for a long time. God, I pray you just give them the strength to just reach out and say, I want you as my Lord. I want you as my Savior. There's some maybe doing that right now. And God, I pray that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love them, that you're there for them, that you came for them. God, I pray that you would just continue to guide our steps. God, help us. Help us to stay off the throne. Help us to quit trying to fix things, to work our way there. God, you've already done it. God, I thank you for the weight that takes off. God, I thank you that it allows me to get up those times I fail and know that I'm okay. Because I'm loved by you. God, I pray that your spirit would guide us, that we would, every word we say, every step we take, that we would serve you that we'd keep you on the throne. May we be pleasing in your sight. And God's people said,
just allow this song to, to minister to you this morning.